The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Welcome, everyone, to episode 83 of the Book of Mormon podcast. And we are so grateful that you have joined us today and have chosen to listen to our podcast. So thank you for joining us. And when I say us, I mean Shelby and Kevin Stanfield. How are you doing, Kev? Doing well. Yeah. Shelby, what is 83 in Spanish? 83. Oh, okay. Cool. Before the podcast, you didn't know. <laughs> you didn't know. You had to look that up. I forgot what 80 was. And then I had to go see. And Kevin made a funny joke. I said, there's no chapter 80 in the Book of Mormon. So you wouldn't have had to learn the number 80 on your mission. Unless you baptized 80 people. Well, not entirely true. I think like there's lots of numbers in the Book of Mormon <laughs> that probably came across. <laughs> Maybe we'll get there. Anyway. Yeah. Speaking of Book of Mormon, mm -hmm. <laughs> we're in Mosiah chapter 18, but the second half of chapter 18. So we're continuing on from last week with our podcast um, where Johnny Williams was our guest. So it is back to just Kevin and I, and we're going to finish up the last half of chapter 18 in Mosiah. So Kevin, why don't you remind us where we were and we can go from there. When we concluded the podcast last week, Alma was out with his, well, his little flock of 204 souls. And he had been teaching people for a while the words of Abinadi, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of repentance, faith and repentance. And, um, then he baptized them and brought them into the covenant, which was, you know, which we discussed quite a bit last week. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about the, the actual establishment or the organization of the church at this time. Not to any great degree, but, but just certain things about how they organized the church at that time. And last week we, we ended by talking about how he ordained priests because mm -hmm. he had the authority where we, where he got it. It doesn't really matter as we talked about last week. It's just important that he had the authority. He had the priesthood authority to then give the authority. Um, to the other priest. Yeah. I don't know when I say give the authority, it was more that the authority included him and he was able to extend it to other worthy men through priesthood ordination. And I know that that's like, oh, there's Kevin being all careful with his words or, you know, saying more than maybe he needs to say. He just he gave him the authority. But. The authority isn't his to give. It's 
the authority given him by Jesus Christ through servants, through authorized servants. So, you know, yeah. that's, that's important to notice. And they, they set apart and ordained one priest to every 50. And so that's about 4.08 <laughs> priests uh, at this time. And in verse 19 of chapter 18, it says, And he commanded them that they should teach nothing, save it were the things which he had taught and which had been spoken by the mouth of the holy prophets. And we talked quite a bit this week about this concept that we'll probably have the chance to kind of explore today. Mm -hmm. It follows with verse 20 saying, Yea, even he commanded them that they should preach nothing, save it were repentance and faith on the Lord who had redeemed his people. So Shelby, what were your thoughts? So if it's okay, let's, let me talk about something else first. Please. Based off of what you said um, about authority, like giving authority. Mm -hmm. um, and this is going to jump forward a lot, but it will tie back to your thought. So in verse 19 on through 29, <laughs> so it's a big range of scripture. Um, I highlighted every time it said, and he commanded. And he commanded, and he commanded, and he commanded, like, because that's what Alma's doing. And I thought, wow, he's really, as I'm reading this, I'm like, he's commanding a lot of things, you know? And I thought to myself, I don't know, it's just the thought I had. He's just commanding a lot. And then I get down to verse 29, and he says, And this he said unto them, having been commanded of God. <laughs> because someone reading this could have easily been like Alma just commanded them to do a bunch of things and they did it, you know, or I don't know what someone would have thought, but <laughs> well, if I may, uh -huh. if we likened it to our current day and time when president Nelson mm -hmm. gives a direction to the church, whether by way of commandment or otherwise, or if the church leadership institutes a policy that could be construed by some as, Oh, they're just, they're commanding us. They're, they're making us do something that they think is the right way to do it. I see if we, but if we follow the thread with, you know, where they receive their authority from and, you know, by what source they're receiving the revelation, it's actually God who is commanding us to right. do these things. So it just goes to your point of Alma, you know, basically just was authorized to share and give this authority to others um, to help bless them. And so it's the same thing here. I mean, it says he commanded them seven times in, in, a, in the verse is 19 through 29. So it's a lot of commanding going on. And you're, I don't want to, um, you're positive it was seven times? Yes. So I'll, I'll triple check. But yeah, he says that in 19, 20, 21, that's three, 22 is four, 23 is five, 
24 is 6, 27 is 7. And so, and we know that the number 7 is significant in that 7 denotes a fullness or complete. Mm -hmm. Something is complete. And what is he doing? He's building up the church. He's setting up the church completely. Right. Or in as much as it needs to be complete at this time, because we we see some differences, right? We don't have today. We don't have one priest for every 50 members. Or right. I, I highly doubt it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but there are things that are being done that we're going to get to that yeah. it it constitutes the the full church of Christ being set up. Yeah. So I wanted to share that before we moved on to talking about verses 19 and 20. I really appreciate that you did. Because we do have a lot to say about 19 and 20, I think. <laughs> We've been talking about it pre-podcast only because it's helping us prepare for the podcast. Right. So um, Kevin already read the verses of scripture and um, I'll just point out what what I noticed. So in 19, Alma commands that they should teach. Now pay attention to the word teach. Nothing save it were the things that he, he had taught. So teaching. And then in 20, he commands that they should preach. And paying attention to the word preach, nothing save it were repentance and faith on the Lord who redeemed his people. And so I thought, well, what's the difference here, really, between teaching and preaching? Because there's one commandment to teach and there's one commandment to preach. And I've studied this a lot on my mission. I've had lots of talks. I've read about it. I've had lots of people who have gave trainings on it in my mission. And I went ahead and just looked up the definition of teach in the guide to the scriptures. And this is what the definition of teach is. To give knowledge to others, especially about gospel truths, and guide them to righteousness. Those who teach the gospel should be directed by the Spirit. All parents are teachers within their own families. Saints should seek and be willing to accept instruction from the Lord and his leaders. So that's teaching. I'm like, all right, let me go see what preaching is. Here's preaching. Preach. Same. It's from the guide to the scriptures. To give a message that provides a better understanding of a gospel principle or doctrine. I told Kevin when I read these two, I'm like, so what's the difference? <laughs> right? Like, what's going on here? Preach and teach. And um, by divine design, you know, we just happened to be on Mosiah 18 part two on the week that... Um, Come follow me is talking about and to what were ye ordained and it's by to preach my gospel by the spirit. And so all these things have been like intertwining and we've just been talking about it a lot. So I would say, I don't know what our concluding thoughts would be, but what were some thoughts you had on all of that, Kevin? Because I kind of just gave you an insight into what preaching is and what teaching is, and kind of how I'm going about my studying in a way. And now I'm seeking your opinion. <laughs> well, let's 
let's look at it this way. If and some of those listening, um, including us, have been full-time missionaries. But even if you were not a full-time missionary at any point, maybe you've been in a teacher council, or even you've been uh, given, uh, oh, many people are given talks, Mm -hmm. right? Given opportunity to give talks at church. And what does the bishop or member of the bishopric tell you when you get that assignment to talk? Normally, unless they really feel impressed that, hey, why don't you just talk about anything, right? Mm -hmm. They'll give you a topic. Mm -hmm. They'll say, hey, brother or sister so-and-so, you know, this next week, we want to talk about missionary work. Or we want to we want to talk about the temple, or we want to talk about faith and repentance, whatever. And in a way, they're asking you to limit what you're discussing and what you teach about, um, and also what you preach, to be uh, limited to <laughs> that subject. Right. And also, they implicitly want you to teach only the things that have been taught by prophets or in the scriptures not the the gospel according to kevin right right or whoever is giving the talk (laughs) and you know one of the reasons for that first of all the purpose of people being you know both teaching and being taught is one reason is to be edified to come to an understanding we learned about that in this current week of come follow me in the doctrine and covenants section 50. and so if you're teaching things that are uh, from your own experience that don't really have any backing of doctrine then you could be leading people astray you could be confusing people, especially you don't know what their level of understanding of the gospel is. So I have a perfect example of this. Well, actually, I don't know. I don't know if that's a perfect example. Never mind. I wouldn't say that. Are you sure you don't want to share it? Well, it would it would involve saying something that we haven't said yet. Okay. Um. But you know what? That's okay. There's only a select few who listen to this. So we're just, I'm just going to say it anyway. And you can tell me if this is a bad example or not. Tell me if it fits. But we were at church. Well, we did, we were watching Zoom church uh, on fast and testimony meeting. And a lady who was pregnant um, bore her testimony um, about how, now this is her testimony, like her witness of things to be true. But something that was true to her was that one of the reasons she hasn't been sick or had morning sickness is because she wears her garments. And that was a, a I would say a personal revelation given to her. Now, this was being shared in a testimony meeting. Um, so I think she was trying to share the testimony of just how garments can protect you. 
but she shared it in her way. Now, I am expecting and we're pregnant and I've had horrible morning sickness throughout the day. And um, when she bore that testimony, I'm like, wow, that's good for you, but that is not a true principle for me. And I think that's where you can get confused where you might be able, she did not lead anybody astray. Like, let's make that correct. But like someone who maybe has never been pregnant and is like, oh, I'm just going to go off of what she said. And then they get morning sickness. They're like, oh, it must not be true, you know, and then it gets confusing. So I think that's kind of what I was sharing that for as an example of how it can be misconstrued um, as preaching by your own way, right? And not by the spirit. The reason that I'm going to say that that is a good example for for our discussion, Mm -hmm. for this conversation, is that I try to think about what Alma was trying to well, and not just Alma, but the Lord. What was the Lord trying to get the people in the wilderness over here by the, the waters of Mormon to, to understand about, you know, their faith and, and how they teach one another and specifically the priests. Mm-hmm. And I believe the Lord wanted them to be a little bit more strict with what they discuss regarding spiritual matters. Hey, only teach what the prophets have taught. And when you preach, preach only faith and repentance. And repentance yeah. Um, on the Lord who's redeemed his people. Right. And so, you know, don't, don't really focus on the other things. Don't, don't go off. Also, don't don't talk about political situations right now mm-hmm. because there's some political stuff going on in this current time in yeah, the Book of Mormon with King Noah. King Noah. I mean, these people are having to sneak out to come and yeah. listen to Alma. We're gonna find out later that there's there's there is a division among the people. So I so I hope that this conversation we've had with the examples of preaching and teaching. I really think in the context that Alma gave them, um, anything that's good comes of God. And we read that in Moroni 7 earlier today. And I think my concluding thoughts would be that as long as it's good and it's inviting someone to come closer to Christ and Heavenly Father and you're doing it by the Spirit, it's a good thing. And I think the whole reason I was getting so tripped up by what's the difference of teach and preach is because I don't want to be preaching priestcraft, you know, like I don't want to be teaching after my own doctrine or whatever it is. And so it's just taught me a little bit more that sometimes it's not always about sharing your experiences, but sharing the principles and the doctrine. And sometimes you have a story to share that supports it, but really pointing everything back to Christ. And I think that's the point that Alma's trying to make here is make sure it's always focused on Heavenly Father and His principles and Jesus Christ, His Son, you know, and it it points back to Him. So, because this is a fragile group of people, 204 souls, they just, they're excited, they're they're wanting to know, and um, 
you don't want to make too many. But as we know with the doctrine and covenants, I mean, people make mistakes, but the Lord's like, that's okay. Repent and keep going. Right. So he's just trying his best to prevent any type of mistakes. And he, he does just to continue in verse 21, mm-hmm. he commands them that there should be no contention among them, or he says one with another, but they should look forward with one eye, having one faith and one baptism and having their hearts knit together in unity and in love one towards another. And so, and that does, that does include when they make mistakes. I mean, this is, this is a community that is being established, not just a church. Right. Which in a perfect world, it's going to, it's one and the same, right? Yeah. It's not, oh, these are people that I go to church with. And then I have nothing to do with them when we step out of the building after Sunday morning. So this is not only this, this definitely, cause he goes later, he talks about specifically on the Sabbath day and specific uh, days that they meet together and worship. So this is, this is just all day, every day, teach what's been taught by the prophets, preach faith and repentance on Jesus Christ and love one another and be united. Mm-hmm. Um, and it talks about looking forward with one eye, you know, an eye single to the glory of God. So don't, don't be concerned with your own material substance, which that's another thing that we're, we're, we're kind of building up to a lot of things that are, so we should just go ahead and get to it. So in 22, he commands them to preach and thus they became the children of God. Pretty cool. I don't really have any insights into that. I wish I would have looked more into it actually, but it is what it is. Um, but (laughs) <laughs> I'll leave that up to you guys. <laughs> well, I, I think it, I, that's funny. I didn't really, I just skimmed past that verse, Me too. but we know that we can become spiritually begotten of Jesus Christ when we, we turn to him. And a, a lot of that has to do with, yes, preaching and, and sharing the gospel. And after that, he commands them (laughs) that they should keep or observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And also every day that they should give thanks to the Lord, their God. So he sets a rule that, hey, there's a Sabbath day and we got to keep it holy. But every day you should be giving thanks, right? Like it's not just on the Sabbath day. And then he commands uh, the priest that he ordained to labor with their own hands for their support. So in other words, do not lean on the people to support you. You work to support yourself, which that's not how a lot of clergies clergies work today. The people that attend the congregation are usually the ones paying the clergy to do what they do. Right. So very uh, opposite of the world, I would say. And and this is 
drastically different than how it was going in King Noah's court at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. So likening to our day. Yeah. Lots of similarities. But there's one day in every week, this is verse 25, that was set apart for that they should gather themselves together to teach the people and to worship the Lord their God. And also as often as it was in their power to assemble themselves together. Now, remember that they're having to hide these things right now. So we at least know they're getting together every one day. And that's most likely the Sabbath day to gather and worship, right? And as often as they can be together. So there's there's power in gathering together. We know that. So that's pretty cool, right? They're looking forward to that day. Where I would be. I'm like, all right, let's go to the Waters of Mormon. <laughs> Come on, kids. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. And, and there's a flexibility here. Yeah. There, it's not a strict on the seventh day, you know, which apparently there's, there is a Sabbath day. And that earlier, that's mentioned. Maybe that's more, spe- that's specific. But this day that they're meeting together to worship and teach one another that's not set in stone. Yeah, I just am assuming it's the Sabbath day, but you're right. Shouldn't assume, right? <laughs> um, oh, and then it goes more into 26 about how the priests were not, It's re, this is the second time it's re, reiterated, that the priests that he ordained were not to defend upon or depend upon the people for support. So once again, he's like, listen, y'all are not just getting off easy. It's because I ordained you to teach and preach. <laughs> you still have to do the work, do the work. And that should teach us something too. And I'll finish reading 26. It says, but for their labor, they were to receive the grace of God that they might wax strong in the spirit, having the knowledge of God that they might teach with power and authority from God. And then he commands the people that every or the people of the church should impart of their substance, everyone according to that which he had. So if you had more, you gave more. But if you had a little, you only gave a little. Uh, kind of live in law of consecration vibes here. Right. <laughs> and if you have none, to him it is given. Yes. Right? Right. So it's like, hey, Everyone's got to pitch in. Well, yeah. What about the people who have nothing? They oh, can't give anything. So they we re- give it they to receive. Them. Yeah. yeah. Where do you think you're giving all your substance to? <laughs> right. <laughs> you're just going to stockpile it somewhere and so, let the other people right. <laughs> like, starve. Yeah, it's a good point. So yeah. already we've established like authority, teaching, preaching, Sabbath day, a, a work ethic, and now a... Uh, consecration effort and in every dispensation the the mind and heart of man i don't know the exact quote but it's from joseph smith and he talks about in every dispensation men catch hold i think he says or or get very interested in this idea of establishing zion Mm -hmm. and that's what they're doing here it's a zionistic um, community. One heart, one mind. Right. Unity. I, I want to d- 
dwell just a little bit on verse 26, which I'm my, my eyes keep going to. And I, it's kind of a confusing verse. So forgive me, but I'm going to read it again. And the priests were not to depend upon the people for their support. Check. <laughs> but for their labor, they were to receive the grace of God. So they're laboring with their own hands. And for that labor, they receive the grace of God. Not substance, not a, a salary. Uh, not necessarily. In the, in the footnotes, it says blessing, reward, wages. Okay. So it could be salary. Like it could be that they're working and getting money for what they work for. But but it's by the grace of God that they obtain that. Right, right. They're not earning a wage in the traditional sense. Right. Mm -hmm. That they might wax strong in the spirit. Because, oh, wow, this is something we've for sure beaten to death <laughs> on this podcast, which is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The priest is not going to be able to wax strong in the spirit if he's hungry and out in the, well, you know, His basic needs are not being met. If the basic needs aren't being met, I should, I shouldn't say that they're not hungry and that they're, I was going to say they're out on the street because there are disciples of Jesus Christ who are hungry, who are, you know, struggling, but they wax exceedingly strong in the spirit. We've seen that through the scriptures and throughout all time. You don't have to be living comfortably to be spiritually strong. It does, however, make it a lot easier to serve and give of your substance. And that's why today in the the church organization, there is a, a living, uh, you know, what we subsidize, is that how you say subsidize the, um, the needs of church, full-time church employees um, and the prophets and apostles and things like that. But they're not, first of all, many of the prophets and apostles don't actually take the money that is set apart like for them. allotted for them. Right. A lot of them are independently wealthy. Because they were self-sufficient, yeah. Um, but, and then church administration, um, like up in church headquarters and stuff, and education in the church education system, they're not a clergy. They're employees of the church, which mm -hmm. they do get paid. And that does come from tithes and offerings. So it's, I, I wanted to fit that in there just so that it can't be said, oh, they're, they're avoiding talking about the money that does go to church entities. Right. But, you know, our bishops and things like that are, our, our elders quorum and Rift society presidents, the young women's president, they give of their time, they labor with their own hands, and it's by the grace of God that they wax strong in the spirit. They can't they can't necessarily say that it's it's by themselves. the grace of God that 
things get done and things work out because <laughs> as young women's president, I can tell you, we were planning a girls camp meeting today and we realized, oh man, we just planned a whole day and we can't even check in till three. And we had our day planned from six to bedtime. So then we're like, okay, well, let's just see if we can book one more night the night before so we can still get there that morning and have the campsite. And miraculously, by the grace of God, the three campsites we needed all had the day before available. So we were able to book them and then keep our plans the way they were. But that's only through the grace of God, right? Right. Because we're fallen. We're not always perfect, but yeah, we're blessed is the point. Hopefully we didn't miss the mark or like not, not miss the mark. Hopefully we didn't go off too much on a tangent on that, but, but that was a verse that at first it kind of confused me just because of the way it was written. Um, it's also important in verse 28 that it says that they should impart of their substance, the people should impart of their substance of their own free will and good desires toward God and to those priests that stood in need, yea, and to every needy, naked soul. It's That's an interesting point because when we're asked to give a fast offering or give some type of tithing, well, okay, tithing is, um, I take that back, tithing is 10%, like that's what's said. But your fast offering, there is no... Like it just says, give what you would for two meals. And it's based on what you determine that to be. You know, if you're a poor college student and your meals are at McDonald's and they're $3 each, well, then you're giving $6 to a fast offering because that's all you have. Right? Right. Um, but if you have a little more money and you want to give more and you can, then maybe your meals are $20 each. So anyway, and that's, that's good that you took that side of it. I was thinking in terms of the intent behind the offering, it should not be begrudgingly given. I mean, Oh yeah. You might as well not give it. You, there's, a, you, there's a scripture that says if you're giving a gift begrudgingly or whatever. No, that's not good. You might as well never give it. Yeah. <laughs> if you're doing it for some sort of check the box, okay, that's done, um, you know, you, you need to you need to have a testimony because the Lord will get the, need, the, the needs of his servants and those who love him. He will get them what they need. It's not actually dependent on you to do it. And I, and I know that's a bold thing to say, and I know you'd say, well, but what about people you know, like it's not like the money just comes from nowhere but i've spoken with you know uh, i forget now i guess it's the executive assistant or whoever to the bishop mm -hmm. and they've said like you know it's it's really interesting because when we need the money for a family it's just there it, it just it and and this specifically was some a guy who was in a YSA mm. um, leadership position, where in the in the YSA there's not a lot of money that comes in in terms of tithes and offerings because a lot of them are students 
that have no income, so they don't pay a tithe, or they tithe very, very little. And fast offerings are generally very small because, like you said, they can... They can only afford a French fry and a hamburger. And they can justify a smaller monetary uh, value of Mm -hmm. their offering. And so if somebody needs their rent paid or if somebody does need groceries, there's a smaller pool to, to pull from. And yet he said, when somebody is in need, it's just there. And there's no reason that it really should have been there, but it just is. And when we were like, well, we need this amount. And then that amount was donated. And so the Lord is going to get it done. And you, and my whole point in this is just saying, it's not you. You may be the donator, the, the, you may be the donor, <laughs> <laughs> but the Lord is working through you. So even as you give, you still have to give, <laughs> you still have to credit the Lord. Yeah. Because not only did he provide those things for you, and your substance, but he even, you know, he, he, his spirit uh, moved upon you to make the decision to do it. It's just pretty. There's, there's a verse in DNC 50 verse 34. He that receiveth of God, let him account it of God. So Hmm. with your example, Say someone needed their rent paid $500, okay? They got $500. They felt impressed to give it as a donation to the ward, so they do. They're not accounting that. Like, first of all, they need to account it as I got it from God, and it is of God. That's it. (laughs) Nothing in the middle, (laughs) right? Right. It came from God. It's from God. There you go. Right? I am a tool. I was used to provide. I was a tool through him, but it's his. Yeah. Lots of humility. And I'm thank you for saying that right there at the end, because that's what's being taught in all of this. Yeah. You need to be humble in all of these, these things. Situations. So, and in verse 29, it comes back to all of this is because Alma's been commanded of God. Which we talked about earlier. To say these things um, and and to give these commandments. And it says, They did walk uprightly before God, imparting to one another both temporally and spiritually according to their needs and their wants. And that is truly a a Zion um, society. Both temporal and spiritual needs and wants were met. And... Verse 30, all of this was done in Mormon, (laughs) yea, by the waters of Mormon, in the forest that was near the waters of Mormon, yea, the place of Mormon, the waters of Mormon, the forest of Mormon. (laughs) So I know we're laughing, but it's it's because what you said last week. Right. (laughs) About that Mormon. Mormon abridging this must have been like, wow, my name's in this a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Like I, I could edit this or maybe skip this, but now let's just put it in. Yeah, it's a good name. Well, <laughs> and and interestingly, so in the first half of the the verse, it ends, and it says "yay," and it 
repeats it. And so this is just emphasizing it's, it's the translation that caused this somewhat long winded way of doing it. All of this happens in this place. Yay. And this place uh, called Mormon, how beautiful are they or it, this location to the eyes of them who there came to the knowledge of the redeemer. And that is so cool because, and it's so true. There are places that we think are beautiful because we came to know more about the savior there, or we learned more about the savior in that place. And of course it's beautiful to see the temple because we have great experiences there with the, with the savior. There's also certain chapels that you may have grown up in, or you liked going to on the, on the mission where you just had some great experiences with the savior. There's, um, or you had a, a wonderful class, a Sunday school class. And so that building has become in a way more beautiful to you. It could even be a geographical location, uh, your mission. Oh, it's Idaho is beautiful to me. <laughs> even those, you know, kind of scrubby plains there, you know, it's not necessarily, someone could say it's desolate, but to me it's beautiful because I know I came to know the savior there. And you can say the same thing about South Texas, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the most important thing is, is that when we have a place that we, that is beautiful to see because we glory in God at that place, we do our best to be a good steward of that place. Right. And of course. Yeah. So. However, well, I think I'm jumping, but before we get there, all of these things were done. Verse 31 in the borders of the land so that they wouldn't come to a knowledge of King Noah. Right. That's who the king is. But. It came to pass that the king, he discovered movement. It says movement among the people. I don't know what that could necessarily mean, but he basically figures out that people are going somewhere. Well, it says he discovered a movement. Right, like a movement. And that could be like a movement. Physically? Well, not physical, but like a group of people who form a, you know, like the civil rights movement or the, you know, a, a political movement. Like that's a, that is a term <laughs> that's used. <clears throat> so he could have discovered um, that there were a, a, a segment of the population that started acting more faithfully mm-hmm. or even behaving differently. And of course he's getting all his, like his spies and, and people like that who are feeding him information. And so they're like, yeah, you know, there's these people and they're, they're worshiping differently. They're, 
yeah. going somewhere. So on the day that they're supposed to meet together, you know, talking about how they set apart that day. Right. Uh, that's when the king comes to acknowledge. He's like, oh, all right. Figured it out. They're actually going somewhere and learning something. Okay. And <laughs> the king said to Alma, or said that Alma was stirring up the people to rebellion. So he want, he's going to send an army to destroy them. But Alma, it says, and it came to pass that Alma and the people of the Lord were apprised. Is that how you say it? Yep. Apprised of the coming of the king's army. So they basically knew beforehand that Alma or that Noah was going to come upon Alma and his people. So they, they're one step ahead and they take their families and they leave in the wilderness. And remember at the beginning of the chapter, there were 204 souls. Now there's 450 souls. That's cool. They've more than doubled yeah. the membership of the church. So in that short amount of, well, I guess we don't know necessarily the time, but it's a lot. And what I wrote in my notes is that this is symbolic of many other times where Zion begins to be established and then threat comes upon it and we're forced to flee. It's just a thing that we do. <laughs> it's just a thing that the saints of God have to do at some right. point. Um, any point of threat because the Lord wants his people safe. So anyway, I just had to make that connection. No, I, I, I appreciate it. And I know that that's true. It's a, I guess it's a true principle of the fallen world or just the, the nature of the natural man. There's something in other people. They don't really like when peop other people are like doing well or something. They get selfish or greedy. I don't know. But um, what's interesting about this is that now we go to chapter 19 and it stays with King Noah. Um, and Alma and his people flee. We're not going to get back to them until chapter 23. Mm -hmm. And those are two chapters. It's kind of a record of Alma as soon as he and his people depart. And, and so 19, 20, 21, and 22, that is the remainder of this record of Zenith or Zenith, mm -hmm. uh, who we talked about way long ago, which explains how Limhi and his people came under bondage or, you know, yeah, oppressed by the Lamanites. And so that's what we're going to get into next week. We're going to, we're going to explore the remainder of Zenith's record. Zenith, Zenith. And kind of Zenith. move us. Yeah. We decided it was Zenith. Yeah. <laughs> with, with Paul. And so we're going to try to get, I want us to get up to that point where we come to, Limhi and his people being a a tributary monarchy to the Lamanites. So we're going to prepare for that next week, which next week we, unless we do it early, we're going to be out of town next week. This is true. So more planning 
is needed <laughs> for that episode. Yeah. But anyway, uh, figure it out. Any any last takeaways, Chubb? No. Mm -mm. I would just say um, that if you're a friend of mine on Facebook, don't go put that congratulations, you're pregnant. Like, don't go do that because I haven't posted it on social media because I do know I, I said that earlier and we haven't announced it yet to all my friends on social media. Right. So I don't want to do that yet. <laughs> it's going to be funny. I mean, at this point. I mean, I don't really know who's listening, so... <laughs> You right. know what I'm saying? I know some friends and family listen, which is fine. Friends and family know, but. Yeah, I think only friends and family listen to this podcast and then anyone else would not no. randomly go to your Facebook and comment on everything saying, congratulations, you're pregnant. Well, you never know. Never know. I just think it's cool that this will be when, you know, our kids grandkids are listening back through the podcast this will be the first mention of that of the child <laughs> well anyway the bookworm podcast has now ended this is just um thoughts thoughts of kevin shelby <laughs> this is not us teaching doctrine <laughs> this is shelby and kevin talking about our lives but that'd i do be a cool that'd be a cool podcast I mean, in a way, that is what we do. We just do it with, with the the Book the of Mormon. Of the Book of Mormon. Yeah, you know, the teachings of the Book of Mormon. But um, to to kind of pull us back and just close it out, I I do have a testimony that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God, and these things that are being taught in this chapter and that we discussed in this episode are really important for us in these latter days. It can give us, if we, if we learn more about how to become more humble and how to trust in the Lord and his authorized servants, we can be, we can have a fullness of joy in this life and obviously eternal joy and happiness in the next life. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Until next time. We'll see y'all on episode 84. Bye. Bye. Bye.